Hello, I am Heidi and welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand, where we talk to real people and share true stories of overcoming life's challenges. We are taking life's lemons and making lemonade. Thank you for joining me. Emily, welcome to Heidi's Lemonade Stand. I'm really looking forward to getting to know you and hearing your story. So start out by telling me just a couple of little things about yourself. Uh, one thing, uh, so I'm a mother of three girls. My youngest is 18, a senior in high school. So just finishing off the teenage years, it's been quite a journey. Uh, I also love to bake uh, treats. I guess I just like to make treats. Since I became a runner, I think it's uh, it has to be worth it to eat sugar <laughs> yeah. more than anything. So anyway, just fun things. That's awesome. Yeah. I have three kids and I love to bake and then I just give it away. <laughs> so I just love to love to make the fun <laughs> treats and then just give them away to everybody else. <laughs> so yeah. That's awesome. Well, great. great. It's great to meet you. So you got to take me back and tell me your lemon to lemonade story. What happened to you and what are you doing now? So to give a little bit of background. So I was diagnosed with cerebral palsy um, at six months old. Around that time, the doctors, when they diagnosed me, they told my, my mom and dad that I wouldn't be able to walk or talk. So it's a, I think that they use that as a, as a what if type of thing, just in case. What were some of the like symptoms or things that made them um, think that you had that at that age? So they, uh, they saw me favoring more of my, my right side. So I wasn't using my left side very much at all. Uh, they think that I had a stroke about 10, when I was 10 days old. But at that point, they don't know for sure how that's going to affect you because, you know, the brain is uh, an amazing thing. So at six months old, they they officially diagnosed me with cerebral palsy, although that didn't that didn't stop me. My mom says that so I started walking at 13 months, but she says I didn't really learn to walk. I learned to run. (laughs) And I think that um, started started this journey. I. I love being active. I have always loved it. Um, I've figured out ways to um, to adapt sports to my to being a one-handed type person. One, although I can run, I, I I don't have a lot of use of my left hand. So um, you know, a lot of sports require that. But I I figured out how to play. You know, for instance, baseball and volleyball. And then I I couldn't play soccer very well, but I play kickball. I don't necessarily play one-on-one basketball, but I love playing speed or pig or horse. You know, I figured out ways around it. So what's the symptoms you have now with the cerebral palsy? I don't have a lot of movement in my, with my left hand. Like I said, I think because, because I've been able to be active for most of my life. I mean, I have a limp, but it's not super noticeable. It, I don't feel like it really limited me. I, um, the only thing I can't do is rollerblade. And I think that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> but uh, so throughout, you know, junior high and high school, I didn't necessarily play organized sports because I didn't, uh, ironically, I didn't want to hold anybody back, any team back. So, but I loved PE. I took PE practically every year. And my PE teachers were just a great influence for me. So after high school, life gets in the way. You know, I I did college, mission, uh, started a family. So I would say 
Oh, about 38 years old. I was thinking of, that I wanted to be more active, but I wasn't really sure quite what I wanted to do. I was reading some posts on Facebook and I saw some others with cerebral palsy. Uh, they were, were talking about how immobile they had become. Not that they had started off immobile, but you know, age can do that. And, and they were in their 50s or 60s. And so I thought, you know, I'm 38. I'm young in comparison to that. And I can fix that. I can change that part of my life. It was around that time that my in-laws, they bought a treadmill. And they live oh, about three or four blocks away. So I decided I would start running on the treadmill. And at that time, I was a working person. And so I would have to get up at five in the morning and go and use their treadmill. And you, you know, you, you hear people say that you, if you have a treadmill in your basement, you'll never use it. It was in their basement. <laughs> I had to walk four blocks away at five in the morning and run on the, in their basement. And I did it. The goal to be physically fit, physically active was more important. And I learned that with my cerebral palsy, that, that it was hard on my body. I ended up getting plantar fasciitis after about six months. So as I was recovering from that, I went back to that same webpage with those people with cerebral palsy. And for some reason, they were talking about recumbent bicycles, stationary bicycles. And so I thought, okay, well, that's the answer to that. And, and if you think about it with plantar fasciitis, it stems because your calf muscles aren't developed. They're not strong. And so recumbent you know, a recumbent bicycle helps develop those calf muscles. So now as I train, I run three days a week and I bike three days a week. I bike so I can run. <laughs> My sister, she, um, she had been running races and she convinced me about a year and a half after I'd started running that I should do a 5K with her. It was a Thanksgiving Day 5K, and I, and I thought, what the heck? I think I had maybe run a total of maybe three miles at a time at that point. So I thought, okay. So she and my dad, they both ran it with me. And, you know, I felt great. It was fantastic. And it was a nice, you know, one-time thing is what I was thinking at the time. I think I'd finally gotten to the point where I could run four miles without stopping. <laughs> which I thought I felt really accomplished at that point. Yeah. I couldn't believe four miles was amazing. So she convinced me two weeks after that to run a, a 10K, you know, that's six miles. And I, I thought, okay, I might have to walk, but I guess we'll see. She just didn't want to do it alone. So once again, she and my dad, they ran it with us. And you know what? I felt great. It's wonderful. Uh, see, a couple weeks later, they were running 10 miles. They were getting ready to run a half marathon, preparing for that. So I, and then my brother also wanted to be a part of this. So we ran 10 miles. I felt great doing that too. It was the most remarkable thing. I think because I had been consistent with my running for a year and a half, it meant that I was 
you know, I think the endurance was good. So I ran 10 miles and then my brother the next day said, so I'm thinking about running a half marathon with Anna, my sister and dad next week. Do you want to do it with me and I'll pay for your, your entry? And I thought, you know, 10 miles wasn't bad. Maybe I could do thirteen. And so I, I, I did. So he signed me up and, and we did it. So I, I ran the first two or three miles with my family. And, and then I just got in the groove. I went around a couple of other people and I blew my family back. I, did, I just cruised because, you, you know, when you go, you can't stop. You can't hold back. So I just started running this race. And I just remember thinking how amazing this was. And I, I couldn't understand why I hadn't done this before, really. So it was a fantastic, fantastic run. Uh, my dad caught up with me about eight miles and, and he said, well, this is, this is where you decide a half marathon is plenty or maybe I can do a marathon. And, and it's funny because at about that point, I thought, well, maybe, maybe I could. And so I finished that race as I was pondering, you know, how well it went, I was at a crossroads because I needed to, to decide, is this something that I wanted to keep doing these races? Because really I was just doing this for my own physical health. And there are times when I feel self-conscious about my disability. I had this random thing happen where some friends from high school just waved out outside of their car of all things. I hadn't seen them for years. And they had seen me from behind. And, that, and so they knew me maybe by my limp or maybe by my hair. I have red hair. So who knows? But I thought, well, who am I kidding? People will notice me. I shouldn't be as self-conscious maybe as I am. So that started the journey to run half marathons. Try to run about three half marathons a year. So one of the fun things that happened while I was still running halves. I was about 42 years old. I was running and my training had gotten so good, improved so much that I was actually uh, looking towards a, an under two hour half marathon. And I couldn't believe with my disability that that was even possible. This was so surreal. So I was running this race about a mile in I ran into an old high school friend we we just started talking about this and that and I I remember talking to her about my my plan that maybe this could work maybe I could do a sub two is what they call it under two hours she heard my plan and and my concerns because I have cerebral palsy right and she just turned to me and she said well, Emily, I remember you in high school PE, and you were amazing then. What wonderful words to hear at that moment. So after a few miles, we had to separate because of our different uh, running speeds. And so I just kept going. And uh, towards the end of the race, I was starting to feel the effects of this race and wondering if I could really meet that goal. So I started replaying those words in my head. I remember you and you were amazing then. I got to mile 12 and 
I, I remember thinking to myself, I am giving myself anxiety. I don't know if I'm going to make this goal. I was getting so close. Anyway, I ended, I ended up doing it. I got 158.30 that first, that first time. Oh, such a fantastic thing. So the next couple years, it, things continue to progress. And it's been great because the treadmill training has worked. You know, I've been able to increase speed on my treadmill. That's the basic way that I um, have been able to engage how I'm doing. Uh, I think the treadmill really helps with my disability because it it gives my left side the ability to keep at a certain pace. So now I, I did Nebo a couple years after that and I had hit an hour and 51 minutes. And that's where the second crossroad happened because now an hour and 51 minutes is fantastic. Actually, I never thought I'd get to that point in my life. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll look at you know, how I compare with others with cerebral palsy. And I looked online and I only saw three or four people that were running half marathons. And I was a full five to 10 minutes faster than all of them. And they were all men too, and younger than me. One was in his twenties, the other one in his thirties. Just remarkable. I couldn't believe that this was what I was looking at you know I thought maybe I could compare to them but no I'm, I was better on a whim thought I'd look up and see if there's anything like this in Guinness I didn't see anything and so I had to decide was I going to just do this for my own health again or do I want to help others to be more active the end thought that I had was if somebody had done this record when I was in my 20s, you bet I would have shot for it. So why not be that example for somebody else? I filled out the application, sent it off. It took three months for them to approve the application first off. So when they say it's accepted, what does that mean? It means that they approve my logistics of this race. I said that I could. Do, I could break the record in an hour and 50 minutes. I thought that would give me a challenge. You know, I had done the race in an hour and 51 the year before, and that, that meant I could go through with breaking that record. And it also meant that there was nobody else that had ever done it. I also didn't know that because they, they don't show all of them on their website. So that also told me that nobody's ever done this before. So that was exciting as well. The next part of this was probably the hardest is now, now that I've been accepted, now here's where all the work begins. Some of the requirements that they had for me to do was to first off, make sure that the course was um, certified by USATF, that's uh, United States of America track and field. And then I had to have a couple independent witnesses that were involved. I had to figure out what that meant. Um, a camera guy. So somebody had to follow me with a camera on their on their chest to show that the whole thing happened, like that it was all honest, an honest race. 
as I was starting to look through all of this information, I started going into a panic. How in the world is this going to work out? I have a few friends that run these races with me, but these, these two in particular, they're good friends of ours, Wendy and Scott. I walk with Wendy um, on a regular basis, and then we, we run a half together at the end of the, each year. But Scott, her husband, he is so fast. He runs his own race. He's, he's my age, but he is um, first in, in his age group practically every year. So as I was talking to them, Scott said, well, you know somebody running this race. And I, I said, well, okay, are, are you talking about you? <laughs> and, he, and he said, yeah. And I said, so you're willing to run behind me so that I, I can have somebody hold the camera, you know? And he said, sure. So he gave up his, his second medal, as it were, so that he could run this race with me. And I mean, what a fantastic thing. And I think that that helped so much. I think that probably was the biggest hurdle that was just taken care of right away. One of the other things that I had, I needed to focus on was the independent witnesses. So as I did a lot of research, you know, looked through all the documentation that Dennis sends you, um, because they have uh, specific guidelines that they give for you in particular. And then I learned more about what it meant to be an independent witness. They have to be a member of the community. So they, they can't know you. They can't be a participant for the, for the race. They can't be associated with the running company. They must be a professional, like the examples they gave were a police officer, an accountant, a lawyer, or a government official, just somebody who is completely independent from all of it. And, and the other criteria is that they needed to see you at the beginning and then a couple times along the way and then see you at the finish line, just, just to make sure that you're actually you know, running an honest race. Uh, my sister, I was just having lunch with her and I was telling her about my next, the next part of this plan. And, and she said, well, I know somebody who's, he's in the sheriff's department and he's in, he works in Payson and he lives in Payson, which is where the race is. Why don't you ask him? And so I thought, okay. So I, I did. And he said, sure. That was the first person that I, I didn't know and that said yes, and which was really great. So the, the thing that was the trickiest part of this whole thing is, I mean, on top of getting all of the stuff that Guinness wants, I still have to train for this race <laughs> in the middle of all of it. So I was running at eight miles an hour already, and I knew that I needed to make some changes. I knew I needed to figure out a way to improve, but I, but to do it without having to go faster. I didn't want to injure myself going anywhere in the nine miles an hour seemed craziness to me <laughs> with my cerebral palsy. So, so the thing that I started focusing on was the extra stuff, the, the 1% around that time I was learning. I learned about the 
coach for the British cycling team, the way they improved was by the little, the little things started doing um, something simple as calf raises every day. And then that led into full strength training. I looked at what I was doing with my nutrition and that really seemed to help. And then I did hydration. Hydration was really an important aspect. Just little things to improve uh, as I went throughout this process. I viewed this as my part-time job. I'll talk about the day of the race because that, I love it. So when was the race and how old were you at this point? So I was 46 at the time of the race and that, that was in August. So there were some hiccups leading up to the race. And two, one of them was that one of my independent witnesses uh, backed out a week and a half before the race. Mm. You know, these things are bound to happen. This is why you prepare as early as you can, because you just, you just don't know. Yeah. So I ended up calling accountants. It was a week and a half before the race. And I was telling them that they needed to come at four in the morning. Yeah. Those are hard sells. And I remember uh, after talking to the, getting the 13th no, I was so discouraged and I wasn't sure what to do. Feeling I got was no, just keep going, keep going. And there was a few more people that I could ask on my list. And I was so grateful because the next person I called, he was so kind and he said, okay. And he, he ended up doing it. So the other thing that we had to worry about first nine miles are in the mountains. It's hard. It was hard to figure out how the independent witnesses were going to see me because they have to shut down half of one of the lanes for the runners to go down. And so how, how are the police going to carry the cars that want to go up the mountain, you know, up and down? It would, that, it just was a challenge to figure out and, and I didn't know what to do. I, so I ended up, I called sheriff's office I told him my problem you know I don't know how to get you guys so that you can see me along the way because once you get out of the mountain that, that there's just the time to go between out of out of the mountain and then to the finish line was just too short of a time I just didn't know how to do that he heard my plan and he said well I was just thinking maybe I need to use a patrol car for this <laughs> day and I thought okay and then uh, and he said well give me Give me the numbers you have so I can let me figure this out. And by Wednesday, he had he sent me a text and he said, I have made all the phone calls and we have clearance to go down the mountain. Aww. So cool. <laughs> the day of the race. In order to get an accurate time, they had me go first. So I had my camera guy, Scott, behind me and then in front of me, a pacer person to lead our little entourage and I, I made a, a sign for her so that everybody that went past me would know that this that we were doing the Guinness race I think we were running for the first two miles all by ourselves it was really actually such a peaceful peaceful morning and I, I loved it so we go down the mountain and um, I, I hit about the mile eight and that's my first gauge that's really when the the downhill is like the straight downhill ends and then there's 11 rolling hills to end this race and 
boy, and that's when the hard part begins. So I, I knew at that point I was three minutes faster than I was, uh, than I was the year before, which is great, but it can still all go south in, in five miles. You know, that's where my training kicked in. And actually it's nice that I actually had the other two around me because they kept me, kept me going by about mile 11 though. Like I was really feeling it. I was thinking of my friend Jill again. And I think of those words that she had said. As I was thinking of those words, I actually saw her. She came down to see me run. I had mentioned it to her a few months before, but I didn't know if she'd actually come. And she was cheering me on. And, you know, that was great. And then maybe another couple more times over that the course of that next mile, she stopped and cheered me on. And I knew after the third time that I probably that I was going to make it. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be fun if I could see her one more time and I could tell her that I've got this. And sure enough, at where the, at the 12 mile mark, she was right by the sign. She said, she said to me, you've got this. And I said, I think I do. Mm-hmm. And what a, what a sweet experience. And I ended up finishing pretty strong and my finishing time ended up being 147.55. Wow. So I, my, for my own sake, I was three minutes faster than the year before, but for Guinness's sake, I was two minutes faster than what I had planned. It was such a, a great experience. As I look back more because of the people, the support that I got. And I had, um, I mean, not only the people that were directly helping me on this journey, but then I had so many people that helped me. They listened to each week's struggles, each week's triumphs. You know, it just was such a great experience to know that there were so many people supporting me like that. Guinness is, they're a company. Right. And you have to go through all the stuff. And so it took another three months for them to accept all my wow. evidence. And then they did. Yay. So I have broken a world record that I, I said I would do that nobody else has done yet. That is so exciting. I, I love know. this. And all while you're dealing with something that could have been so debilitating and you're just working on your health and trying to do your little 1%. And it's, it's what your body needs. It's, it's paying off. You're a great example of, of living that way. That's so great. I love it. Yeah. It's just what I do. Yeah, my sister, okay. my sister said to me that she wishes that she could have my determination. And I don't necessarily think of it as determination. It's just who I am. Who but, are. but if I can help others to be more active, uh, especially, like I said, people with cerebral palsy, please do it. Become more active. Yeah. Well, I love that inspiration too. I think we all need that person that you know, it's almost like, well, if she can do it, I can do it, you know, or that <laughs> me too, you know, if we can do this together. And so I think sometimes our personalities need that, you know, well, well I'll show you, I'm going to do it too. <laughs> so, so one one of the things I used to tell my kids when they were 
when they were young is, well, if I can do it with one hand, you can do it with two. That's right. <laughs> right. So I, I don't think they necessarily like that, but it's <laughs> the same general like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. No, that's it's a great inspiration. Thank you. This is a beautiful story. I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. And I love how it, it went over years. It wasn't a quick thing. It was just something that you just wanted to kind of make a little bit difference in your health and you were just started out slowly and you worked your way up and, and now what, is there any, any more plans or just going to keep doing the marathons? We'll see what happens. I don't have anything set. I am 46 years old. I don't, I am curious if I will do this again. It was so much work. So I don't know. Okay. So for now, it's just, let's just keep things as they are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a great plan. <laughs> Yeah. And hopefully nobody will challenge that record for a long time. So that'd be great. <laughs> Let them try. <laughs> yeah. I think, yeah, like I said, the closest person was like 156. Wow. So we'll see. That's amazing. You shared a great it's story. Just, it's just important to be mobile. Just yeah. keep going. Yeah. Even even when things are hard. One of the one of the things that I'm doing with my certificate, I've had a lot of people tell me different things where different places I should put it in my house, but really it's, it's going to go in the place where I strength train. I have a multi-purpose room. That's where it's going where, I mean, that is hard. Some days are really hard. And so strength training, that seems to be the hardest thing for me to do. So I have it right there so that I can see it on those hard days when I really don't want to strength train Yeah, and just keep going. Just yeah. keep going. Yes, definitely. I think we need to be cheerleaders for each other as well. And so I love that you have that positive attitude and you can tell people, you know, they can do hard things and keep hanging in there, keep going, be mobile. It's just all great advice. So thank you. This is beautiful. Thanks. Thank you so much. This has been really fun. Oh, good. I'm glad. It's an amazing story. You're still here? Well, then enjoy this little outtake from that interview. You're the first person that I've talked to that hasn't been familiar with my story. So I I do appreciate this venue to share more of that story. This this has been real. Thank you so much. Like, I don't want to cut anything out. It was all (laughs) such good information. And I just love seeing all the little tender mercies and miracles and just things that came into your life to make this possible for you to just show you that you're on the right track, that you have the support and that you can be this inspiration and this, this example for others. Like, I just love the way it was hard. It's not like it was an easy thing, but things came into place to make it happen. And I think sometimes it has to be hard to appreciate the journey. Getting that independent witness actually was such a, an amazing thing at the end. I was so, oh, I was so discouraged. He was asking me questions in that week and a half to make sure that he would do it correctly. Oh, and oh that's just, so cute. I know. It just was, took it so seriously. And just, he was really a great did. highlight of his life too. I just think everybody involved in this was just so good to you and just shows us that as we support others, we can uplift ourselves, you know, as we reach out to be that hand to someone else, it does nothing but elevates us as well. 
So yeah. that's a great example of that in your story too, of other people assisting you to make this possible. And it just, it lightened their lives too. So it's yeah. awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing this with me. This is so beautiful. Yeah. I love this story.